0: Hey Lily, what's the difference between an inspired team and an empowered team? And why does this sound like a dad joke setup? <laughs> well, Randy,
1: is it that the latter has been transformed?
0: How did you know? Anyway, today we're talking to Andrew Scottsco, a product leadership coach at Make Things That Matter, all about what empowered product teams are and how to actually get there.
1: And you might think you know the answer, but Andrew digs into some pretty deep stuff in this chat, and I found it very insightful. So let's get to it.
0: The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week on the podcast, we talk to the best product people from around the globe.
1: Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and discover loads of free resources to help you with your product practice. You can also find more information about Mind the Product's conferences and their great training opportunities happening around the world and online.
0: Create a free account on the website for a fully personalized experience and to get access to the full library of awesome content and the weekly curated newsletter. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities. There's probably one near you.
1: Hi, Andrew. Welcome to the Product Experience podcast. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great, Lily. Thanks for having me and great to see you and Randy today. How's everything been in your world?
1: Very, very good. Thank you. Aside from the COVID, but let's not talk about that. Mm -hmm. Um, so (laughs) So, we're chatting today about empowered teams. But before we get stuck into our topic, it would be great if you could give our audience a real quick intro into who you are and your product journey and what you do in product today.
2: Yeah, for sure. So what I do today is I work as a product leadership coach and advisor. So I work with basically the VPs of products, CPOs, and the leadership teams, helping them build and transform into being strong product companies. So how I got here is a bit of a winding journey, as I'm sure Randy and other folks like me can attest. But um, basically, I start started my career in marketing, switched to engineering, and then somewhere along the way, realized that there was this beautiful and weird thing called product that brought these, uh, the technical and human sides of my brain together. And once I, once I got a taste of product, that was it for me and just kind of went all in. And, you know, that was somewhere, you know, that was 10 or 15 years ago and it's just been my obsession ever since. So it's uh, it's the weird world that we all love to hang out in.
1: (laughs) And you have been helping lots of businesses with their product teams and we, Pretty much, I'm sure most people who listen to this podcast will have heard of empowered product teams and that that is the kind of the utopia that we're all aiming towards. So Mm -hmm. tell us in your words, like what is an empowered product
2: team? Absolutely. So yeah, as you said, Lily, like by, by now, unless anyone's been living under a rock, they've heard about empowered teams and OKRs and accountability and all these wonderful things that, that Paint a picture that, that I like to call sort of this, this idea of like empowered nirvana, right? It's this, this mythical place that we all would love to spend our days working in. And then there's the, the reality of like, okay, so that sounds awesome, but how do we get there or how do we do it? And, um, you know, I think this, that's kind of what led me to explore some of the questions that led to us talking today earlier this year was I was really asking the question of like, what does that actually mean? Like, what does it actually mean to empower a team? What does this word that we throw around really mean? And as I sat and I really explored it, uh, both on my own and and talking with lots of different people, I, at the end of the day, I came down to my stance is that it's really a, it's a it's an, it's a trade, right? It's an agreement between teams and leadership that is often um, kind of glossed over, and it's this trade of um, autonomy for accountability. And so, of course, we're going to talk about all this a lot more. But this is where something like OKRs is very helpful. But in a nutshell, what you have is you have a team that is signing up, like they're putting their name on the line to be accountable for delivering some kind of outcome. But in exchange, they get, let's say, bounded autonomy for it. And so, when I that's that's how I started to think about it. When I when I started to bring that into my conversations with teams and leaders. Making that conversation explicit and actually like unpacking it together really improved a lot. So that's, that's how I've, that's how I think about it today.
0: Andrew, we like to talk about autonomy a lot, but I think Mm. a lot of people misunderstand the term or at least use it in a way that's not intended. So what does autonomy actually mean with an empowered team?
2: Well, really quick, I'm curious, what do they, most people you talk to, like, what do they mean by that word?
0: I can do whatever I want. Get oh, out yeah, of my way.
2: Stop telling me what to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's not what <laughs> that's, that means.
0: <laughs> yeah, and to be fair, that's not what I don't hear that a ton, but I hear people complaining about it and I've come
2: across it a couple of times. For sure, for sure. And and you know, you can imagine you can see where someone might might draw that interpretation and where that could be problematic if you're, I don't know, a CEO and you're going, "Hmm, we're having issues already and now you just want to like Go on a free for all. Um, so no, autonomy is not a free for all. It is not uh, a blank check to go do whatever you want. It, you know, it doesn't it doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well? But this is why I was saying a second ago, like bounded autonomy, right? You have autonomy within guardrails, within limits. Um, and so, what I think of it, meaning in in the context of an empowered product team, is you have you being the team, like the, especially the, the product trio, if you want to use that that language, right? The the autonomy the you're empowered to come up with the solutions that drive the results, right? That like the fundamental trade is like, okay, I as the leadership team, I'm going to give you this space. And in that space, like it's up to you, you're going to do, you know, you're going to figure it out. It has to meet certain constraints, has to, you know, work for the business. It can't, you know, violate our brand or be illegal or destroy our business model or, you know, whatever the... Infinite list of constraints may be, but as long as you're meeting the constraints, it's up to you to come up with the solutions. Because the most, I think, the most disempowering thing to use that overused word, you know, I guess I, I fundamentally look at product teams and everybody on them as it's a creative role, right? Product is often pigeonholed or a lot is like a very analytical role, and it, uh, certainly there's a lot to that. But I actually think of it fundamentally as a creative role. You know, everyone wants to make things that matter and use their time well, and so I think. The, the most disempowering thing is just to be told like, oh, I don't really care about your creative input. Just go build me X, which is essentially the model we're all reacting to and trying to get away from of, you know, feature filled roadmaps and feature factories and on and on.
1: And how has that changed or, or what kind of problems do you see with product leadership? Um, how are product leaders getting it wrong? Because I feel like there's a fine line or like a a balance that you need of like looking after your team and, and steering them on in the right path versus like giving them that, that autonomy and and making them feel accountable?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And there is no, I don't think there is like one perfect answer here. It's all very situational. So when I think about some of the product leaders that I've been working with over the last year, they all have different contexts. But the thing that seems to carry across those situations is First of all, it's, um, it's not dictatorship, right? They're not saying this is it and that's it. I said it. And that's, that's all it is. It's not, you know, they don't get to rule things. Um, they actually have to evangelize and influence and persuade and build a vision and get the team involved because without the team, the vision is, you know, it's meaningless if you can't actually execute on it. Um, so I think the, the hard line to walk here is finding that balance between the rigor of responsibility and accountability of saying like, yeah, this team has to truly sign up for delivering a result. I mean, I think this is one of the, one of the differences, just to make a somewhat esoteric distinction. I think there's an important distinction here between accountability and responsibility. And responsibility is something that anyone can take for themselves, right? In any situation, I can choose to take responsibility for something, right? It, It doesn't require anybody else's involvement or agreement. But accountability only exists by virtue of agreement, right? I am only accountable to something to you, Lily, if we talk about it, have a conversation and agree that I am accountable to it. And that involves things like the conditions of satisfaction and the constraints, the terms, whatever words you want to put. But I think that's actually the thing that's most often skipped over is that conversation and an explicit signing up process, basically, where let's say you're you're the product leader, Lily, and I'm, I'm one of the PMs reporting to you. You know, you come to me and you say, hey, we're going to go do X and you just tell me and you don't ask me for any input, right? You're just sort of dictating. That's a very different experience versus what I think you would probably do is you would sit down with me and we would have a conversation about the direction and the vision and you would lay out for me what the big problems that we could, you know, that we could solve that would make a big difference are. And then I would at some point sign up to take that on. I would say like, yeah, I'm in. I'm taking that on. I don't know how we're going to do it yet, but me and the team are going to figure it out.
0: Andrew, you're doing a really good job of defining terms that we use all the time. So I'm going to push you to define one more. Oh, good. And it's a really obvious one: trust. You said you know accountability is uh, you can't have uh, a trust without accountability or accountability without trust. But I think that word also gets confused for people sometimes. So can you give us a little bit more on
2: what you mean by that word, by trust? Absolutely, Randy. Thank you for that. And, and you're right. I am a big fan of defining terms because it, it sort of uh, externalizes and makes explicit a lot of um, meaning and assumptions. And, and I think that's where a lot of the problems start. But trust is a big one because you're right, that's basically what it all comes down to. So my personal favorite definition of trust is from a writer named Charles Feldman who wrote a really great book everybody should read called The Thin Book of Trust. And the definition of trust there is that trust is defined as choosing to make something you value vulnerable to somebody else's actions. So it means that I am putting something I care about and value at the effect of you, and I do not control you, right? I cannot control you, which is where the vulnerability and the trust comes into play. So I think that's really the the heart of it, and so it, that is the difficult bit because then you start to get into all these questions, and maybe this is where you want to go. I'm not sure it, about like, great, how do you how do you build it? What do you do about it? How do you repair it if it's out?
1: I mean, yeah, you've literally just asked all the questions that I was going to ask you. <laughs> but let's start <laughs> with like one of the harder ones, like if you're if you're building, let's say you maybe don't have empowered teams yet, but you're kind of working in that direction and you know, there are occasionally like conflicts within peer-to-peer relationships or or you know, even with Uh, as a product leader with the team or or the team with the product leader. So if you don't feel like you trust people within that product organization, like what can you you do about it?
2: Yeah, no, I love the question. And I I think the first thing I want to say is I just want to name something that's implied in your question, which is that um, we can do something about trust. We can rebuild trust. A lot of people operate like trust is this, uh, it's a binary, right? It's either there or it's not. And once it's gone or it's broken, it can never be rebuilt. And and while there are certainly situations in which that is true, I don't think that's usually the case. And so I think it, it's helpful to look at it like, okay, where is trust a problem? And and But I think more importantly, it's really important to zoom in on what we mean by that. So for example, when, he, when someone says, I don't trust that person, you have to ask, okay, what do you mean by that? right? Because trust is multidimensional. Trust is not one thing and it's not all or nothing. So for example, there there's all sorts of different sort of trust models out there. Feldman's got one. Uh, There's another one that I like called The Trust Equation by Stephen Drozdek, I think is how you say his name. That's a good book from about 20 years ago that's useful. But one of my favorite ones that comes actually from a friend of mine, Pam Fox-Rollin, who's got a new book coming out that I just want to say everyone should go check out. It's called Growing Groups into Teams. She and her partners are co-authors in that book actually explained a model that I love right now. It's my current favorite, which is saying, okay, let's say trust is quote unquote out. Okay, is that does that mean like this I don't trust their sincerity? Is it that I don't trust their competence, their reliability, their honesty, their respect? Right? These are sort of like five dimensions of trust that all mean really different things and all have Different solutions, and so I think the first thing to do to answer your question, Lily, is you have to like get a little more specific about where the problem is, because you know I may tr- I might trust a, a PM on my team to give an amazing demo, but I'm that which is like in the label of the bucket of competence, but I may not trust their um, ability to give a three year projection or forecast to the board, right? Same person, awesome at their job. Two different situations, both in the domain of competence. So, all right, I realize I'm getting a little long-winded here. Let Let me zoom out. So step one, get specific. What do you mean? Step two is to then actually have a conversation about it, right? So to have a conversation about what's going on here. And most people don't even realize you can actually have this conversation. And that once you can have this conversation, there's almost no conversation you can't have. This is almost like the skeleton key conversation is like, can I have that conversation about trust and where it's out and why? And you don't have to have all the answers going in. You just have to be willing to step in there with somebody. I think that's actually the most important thing. And there's, we can get into some other like, more tactical things on the team level or the leadership level, if you like. But I think that's how I want to at least tee it up.
0: Andrew, that's exactly where I wanted to go, actually. Um, is there a difference in these dimensions between do, creating trust at an individual level, you know, with your stakeholders, with your peers, versus doing it from a leadership level and doing it down to the,
2: the teams that report up? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think there actually is a difference. I think the principles translate across the 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 different positions in the organization, but in terms of the actions you'll take, I think yes, there is a difference. So I think the way I want to frame this is that whether you're, you know, I, I'm basically asserting that this whole thing about empowerment comes down to this handshake between teams and leadership, right? That's the fundamental thing. And that, that handshake is built on trust, which is where we are now. So depending on which side of the handshake you're on, um, there are things, different things you can do to both earn trust of the other side and also extend trust to the other side. So let me explain it that way. So if I'm on the, we'll start with the leadership team. Cause I like, like you, Randy, I think a lot about the the environment created by leaders. So let's start with them. So if I'm on the leadership team, I have to first think about what am I doing to earn the trust of my teams? I think that's where everybody should start. It's like, okay, am I being trustworthy first before I go pointing fingers at anybody else? So I think in this, in this case, I would start by looking at a few things if I'm on the leadership team. Am I insisting on basically strong thinking over any one solution, right? Am I being... Let me give you the anti-pattern. Am I being attached to my solution, right? If if I'm just trying to like get the team to just do the thing, you know, build the damn thing I want you to build already. Like that is a great way to destroy trust. That's not going to help you build trust uh, or, or to earn their trust rather is another way to say it. But what works much better is to insist on strong thinking from everybody, including yourself and to call yourself out when maybe you are insisting on a feature that you have not really substantiated, right? Maybe you keep pushing this like pet project and then like I've seen this, a team I worked with earlier this year, I saw the co-founder who's, who's no longer uh, the CEO, but he's still very involved, actually own in a pretty public forum that he's like, oh, wow, I realize I have just been a broken record for this one thing that I want for like a year and a half. And he, he said something to the effect of like, I realize it doesn't make any sense actually. It doesn't make sense for where we are and where we're trying to go. And you just saw the moment he said that, Like you just saw the whole room. You saw everybody involved in the company just go like, oh, finally. Okay, cool. We can have a real conversation about this. (laughs) And it's not that anybody's like a bad person in the situation, but like that level of honesty and and openness just bought so much trust. So that's that's one thing is like insist on strong thinking, being willing to call it out, um, and then the other one I want to call out from the leadership side in terms of earning trust is really managing your own biases, right? That's like an ongoing practice for a leader is every one-on-one you're having, every uh, presentation, like owning where your biases, your own preferences and bias are coming into the equation because you have outsized influence by virtue of your position. Um, so that's there's more we could say there, but that's probably enough for now. That's on the earning side. On the extending side, I think this is actually the harder one for leaders, I think most leaders would probably nod along quite nicely with everything I just said. This is where the rubber meets the road, because this is where they actually have to get vulnerable and extend trust to the teams. Right. So if we go back to that definition of trust from a few minutes ago of you know choosing to make choosing to risk making something you value vulnerable to somebody else's actions, that's the hard one. And so for a leader, that means actually giving up control. That means actually giving the team space to pursue things that maybe they would not, the leader would not pursue or that are not, that that go against the leader's instincts. And that doesn't mean the leader doesn't get to have a voice, but it does mean they they, they have handed over the reins, but they retain the context. So that looks like giving the team space to explore ideas, um, giving the team data and evidence that they have that the team may not have. That looks like leading through context and not control, right? So creating a vision, creating a strategy, creating principles, and then creating that container those bounds in which the team gets to really go do their thing. And the last one is really um, not overusing veto power, right? The thing that makes a stakeholder a stakeholder almost by definition is that they do have veto rights. And so the thing is, you you can't throw those around all the time, right? If you're just vetoing every single thing because it's not what you would have done, that just destroys trust. And so that's where actually giving space and relying on the data goes a long way. Um, I, I'm happy to talk more about the team. But is that kind of what you were asking about, Randy, with the with the leadership side? Yeah. And you, you brought up
0: something really interesting there as well. I mean, not that everything else we talked about earlier in this conversation was interesting. But the, the two dimensions of getting trust and then extending it. What is the difference? What's the thought process about that?
2: Uh, no, I love that question. I think the thought, the, the fundamental point I'm trying to make there is that when we think about trust, it's very easy to point fingers, right? To, to say, oh, I don't trust them or trust is out. Um, but I think the first thing that a leader has to ask is what is my contribution to the situation? And I actually think that's something everybody ought to be asking, right? If you have a conflict, whether that's in a personal relationship, a work team, whatever, if there's a conflict, everybody has some part to play, right? Even if that part is just tolerating it and not speaking up about it. Um, they may not be the person who's like most quote unquote at fault. But um, that that's why I think it's so important because then it puts everybody in a stance of what's mine to own and how can I contribute to making it better somehow. I think
1: um, in my experience as well, I find one of the ways in which trust is built between a leader and their team is with give the giving and receiving of feedback, which is very much mm. that kind of I think it leans more on that earning it side of things, but, you know, being able to take feedback and criticism well and, uh, you know, and, and inviting it, but then also kind of giving it in a very, you know, radically candid kind of way, like we all do.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, but is there anything else just thinking about like the times at which you're able to really demonstrate like earning, earning trust and extending it and, and the one to one? you know environment that uh most leaders have with their product teams is there anything that you kind of recommend or or speak to in in that sort of one-to-one situation that is like a good sort of moment at which you're able to like really practice or uh develop your trust between your team
2: Yeah, I I think there's a few different angles. One that comes to mind right now is, I mean, the the broader point that I want to make here is I think it's owning that you're not infallible, right? Like being a human being as a leader and not trying to present that you're all perfect, you got it all figured out, like you make mistakes too. That goes a long way, especially if you think about like the the power imbalance or power dynamic between, let's say, a CEO and, you know, a second year product manager. Right, that, there's just implicitly a huge power imbalance there, and and now in a large company that dynamic isn't probably going to happen, but in a smaller company it might. So I think this is where just owning that you make mistakes too, and like making it like this is where both sides really opening up their thinking, externalizing their thinking. I think goes a very long way. If you're on the if you're on the product team side and you externalize your thinking, you can bring your stakeholder or your your CEO or whoever you're bringing them along for the ride. But on the other side, if you're the CEO, the product leader, or whatever, it goes a really long way to not just shut someone down without explaining, right? if you if you uh, if you actually explain the thinking and why a certain thing might not actually work despite a lot of good intentions and effort. I think that goes a really long way. Um, so I think that's like the from the leadership side of bringing people along for the ride. Um, but I think the other one is really, and this, this one feels weirdly hard from when I've seen leaders struggle with it, but it's to give credit, right? To, to really say like, you know what? I disagreed with this direction, but you and the team and the data, you, you totally nailed it, right? Like to, when, when a leader can disagree and commit and then three months later to say like, yeah, I was wrong. This is awesome. Like, I'm so glad I was wrong. And I'm so glad that this, you know, and I don't, I I even hesitate to say like wrong. That's, that's, that's the wrong framing, but to just celebrate the win and to, to not have their ego be so wrapped up in it. um, I think that goes an incredibly long way, especially in that one-on-one dynamic, because I don't know, I've had a lot of calls from, from, from one, one or both sides of that dynamic where they just feel like they will not acknowledge how things actually evolved.
0: So given, given all that, Andrew, becoming a strong product team, what's the way that a company earlier in its journey can get started and move towards it in a deliberate fashion? What should they be doing?
2: Yeah. Well, let me start by what they probably shouldn't be doing. Um, so what they shouldn't be doing is what a lot of people try to do, which is they they see this this picture of kind of the empowered nirvana and all these wonderful books that we've read by, you know, Marty Kagan or Teresa Torres or Petra or whoever. Um, and they they just try to jump all the way to the end, right? Like like that is almost guaranteed to fail. Um one of the things that I try to stress to people is that really what we're saying, if we're trying to become a strong product company or transform or move to the product model or however you want to say it, we're trying to fundamentally shift the relationship between the product organization and the rest of the business. And the thing that we all overlook is that that is the outcome. Like That's the result. So you cannot start there. You have to get there. And so don't try to just jump there. Um, which means don't try to just change everything at once and, and ask the leadership team that's been used to like controlling everything to just hand over all the reins. And, uh, you know, it just doesn't work. So the actual sequence that it starts with is being able to ship good product, right? So if you can't even ship your toast, right? Like if, if the, the benchmark that most of us talk about is it bare minimum two weeks, if you can't ship to your customers at least every two weeks, like do not pass go do not collect $200 like that's that's thing one because if if product can't even ship then you have the, the organization has no credibility within the company um and so if you're if you're starting and things are in a super bad place you just got to get the shipyard shipping right it can be like a bug fix and just celebrate the hell out of the bug fix but just like the thing has got the pipes have got to start flowing step 2 is once you can actually get something through the pipes is you have to start Solving those problems and building things collaboratively, right? So that's where all the, all the great stuff around product discovery really kicks in. Do you have cross functional teams? Um, are they, do they, you know, do they actually do proper discovery? Do they do prototyping? All of that. And then, um, number three is really that's where the harder part of product leadership comes in, which is everything around product strategy, product vision, et cetera. And then once you get there, you actually have enough momentum and credibility built up that you can actually like start to make much bigger changes in the company level relationship. So if I were to summarize all that, first, you got to be able to build ship things. Then you have to be able to build and discover what is worth shipping. Then you have to actually be able to lead and do strategy and vision. And then at the end, you have essentially transformed your relationship to the rest of the company. A lot more to it than that, but that's one way to think about it.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, in your experience, how long does this take? <laughs>
2: Uh, I think it depends a lot on the size of the company. You know, if you're, if you're trying to transform a 50,000 person company versus a 20 person startup, you know, they're, we're just not even talking about the same thing at all here. I think at the low end, it's probably six months. I think at the high end, realistically, you're talking three to five years, probably three years. If you did this really, really well, if you have a big company and you did everything right, it's probably like three years. If you don't do everything right, it's probably much longer. And there are, there are many, many examples of companies that are, you know, "quote unquote" transforming, and they're in like year nine or version six of trans of the transformation. And you have to honestly ask, like, does does this still hold water with anybody?
0: And how many McKinseys and Accentures have they been through at that point? Oh uh,
2: yeah, right. The BCG, Accenture, Deloitte, McKinsey, McKinsey, et cetera, <laughs> et cetera. You know, and it's not because they're not smart people or anything like that. But um, I, I think a lot of times. You know, this is one of the things that I think is really interesting about the whole strong product company transformation thing, right? Is that it requires the fusing of, I think, two disciplines, which often operate quite independently, one of which is product, and that's all the stuff we obsess over. But there's actually this whole other field out there called change management that is a domain and a field that has worked on the problems of organizational and company transformation for a long time. And they've learned a lot. And so a lot of my my research and exploration and work recently has been bringing the best of that domain into the product domain because I think we'd be a little bit silly to just ignore what all these smart, well-intentioned people have figured out over the years. So I think there's bringing a lot of that together is what's actually necessary because the product, let's say, let's call it the the product model or a strong product company is kind of what we're trying to become. And then there's this whole other field that has a lot to say about, how to effectively become that.
1: Well, Andrew, it has been great talking to you about this topic. Um, I'm sure all of the people who have been listening are very inspired um, and will soon be very empowered. See what I did there?
2: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Um,
1: But yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. It's been really fantastic.
2: Uh, It's a pleasure being with you all. Thank you for having me.
1: product experience is the first
0: and the
1: best podcast from Mind the Product. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith.
0: And me, Randy Silver.
1: Lou Ron Pratt is our producer and Luke Smith is our editor.
0: Our theme music is from Hamburg bass band POW. That's P-A-U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank. Regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide.
1: If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank.